Our gospel lesson for today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter, and I invite you to stand as you are able for today's reading. <clears throat> the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, listen for the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he was coming up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighted on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. So I was going to do the whole song as an act of praise in this service. The worship team earlier this week said, let it not be, Jay, let's not do that. So I took executive privilege, and there you go. Let it be. Three powerful words, strong words, let it be. Three words of covenant and commitment. Three of the red letter words in the Gospels, Jesus said them. But Jesus inherited these words from his strong and his committed mother who said to the angel, let it be. I've thought about that this past week. I've thought about how Jesus is about 30 years old at this time. This is the beginning of his public ministry. And I, I just wondered how in you know, the past 30 years, at moments of his life, if he heard his mother say to God, let it be, as a refrain, let it be, Lord. I'm at this crossroads. I don't really understand the direction I'm going to take, but let it be, Lord, that I follow your will in mission, in your will in ministry, in your, your will, Lord. Let that be in, in my life. Uh, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, doesn't have a single recorded word in Scripture, but his actions are a let it be kind of action. And so I, I've been thinking about the Holy Family uh, when an obedient mom and an obedient parent say yes to God's will. They say, let it be, Lord. Let, let it be with me, your servant. Not according to my will, but according to your will. That The chances are they're going to have children who say, let it be, Lord. 24 of them we just recognized. Even more than that, at, at our morning two services, at our, our children's minute, parents and grandparents who have said to the next generation, let it be. Let it be. Parents, as a side sermon today, our children are watching the things that we say and, and how we commit our lives and to what and to whom we say, let it be. 
how we spend our time, how we craft and shape our words, the tone of our words, our actions, how and where we, we spend our money and our leisure time, how we commit or don't commit to Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and, and Wednesday evenings for our fellowship and supper time and our discipleship time. All of those are messages that say, let it, let it be, let something be. And so to what or to whom are we saying, let it be? It's a generational question, really. Today is baptism of the Lord's Sunday, some 2,000 years later, and we're going to take these covenantal vows, and, and I pray that you will come forward in a spirit and a posture of let it be in my life, as Jesus did. So we say about baptism that it's the, the cleansing of, of sin. Lucas used that as one of his illustrations. It, it washes us. The waters wash the sin of our lives. And it is a, definitely a good old washing of the soul. But we read about a perfect Messiah who never sinned, who knew no sin, as we say, and, and we have to ask a couple of deeper probing questions about baptism. It, it must be more than just cleansing of sins, yes? So I want, to offer, I want to offer two things before we come forward and reaffirm our baptismal vows, before we recommit to covenant. I want to offer two things. The first is I view this, this account in Matthew's gospel as, as one of two coronations of King Jesus that he'll experience. One comes through the muddy waters. The other comes through his bloody body. One, is, one coronation is baptism. One coronation is his crucifixion. One comes with water on the crown of his head. One comes with a crown of thorns pressed into his head. It was a strange and, and humiliating coronation for a different kind of king. Uh, what kind of king places himself in line with his subjects or in place of his subjects? A muddy water coronation, it indicates the type ministry Jesus will take up the type ministry to which Jesus will commit, the type people that Jesus will seek out and, and reach. I'm so glad that at both, both of our morning children's minutes, independently, I don't think they cheated and told one another from one to the other, but both, they had children who said, hey, Pastor, look, that, that water's muddy. It's dirty. And at the early service, they said, are you going to drink it? <laughs> I'm so glad that we picked up on the, the muddy, the, the sediments that are turned up because Jesus' coronation, his baptism, says that he's willing to enter the muddy, murky waters of, of your life and of mine. That's not typically what kings do, is it? They usually rise above the dirty and the fray and the margins even. Kings notoriously claimed a special relationship with God or with gods, or kings were like the representatives of God to the people and, and representative to the divine for the people. So here comes King Jesus down to the Jordan River, and he flips the script. Jesus brings God to humanity and humanity to God, but along the, the muddy banks of a river that has dirty water from all the people being baptized and stirring it up. Karl Barth said of this event, in Jesus Christ, that turning of God to man and the conversion of man to God is actually the appointed order for mutual interrelationship and therefore a way the former aims at the latter and the latter is grounded in the former. In other words, 
One way to think about Jesus' baptism is that the entire event, event begins steps toward reconciliating, reconciling people to God and people to one another. It's about bringing together God with people and people with God and, and people with one another. I, I think that's what makes Jesus the King of Kings is that his coronation is, is different. It's not all that regal. It's just messy because he knows our lives are, are messy. And so he enters the waters anyway. And so I just wonder, do you and I, in saying, let it be about our baptismal vows, about our reaffirmation to covenants, do we view our baptism as a means of reconciling ourselves with God and reconciling ourselves with one another. Because anything less, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear that, talk about that, pray about that. It's, it's cruciform to, to reconcile with God and to reconcile with people, isn't it? It's cruciform to say, I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me with whom thou wilt, rank with me with whom thou, thou wilt. It's why uh, some clergy cross themselves. It's... Bring the relationship to us, and then it's not about us. It's about you. It's about other people. The second thing I'll say about this baptism is, is it has to do with, with identity. And so I've thought a lot about stories related to mistaken identity and identity theft and how those stories sometimes laughable, but they can make us cringe to think that someone could steal or mistake our identity don't they know who we are, who I am? Or even companies, uh, I've been working with this word. You know that company LifeLock? You've heard LifeLock? Isn't that a great company? We're going to lock your life. We're going to protect and preserve your identity. We'll, we'll spend a lot of money, a lot of resources and time and energy to make sure that our identity is protected, and I, and I get it. But the question is, what is our real identity? Because as we think about the waters of baptism, as we think about Jesus' act of saying, let it be, it's not a locking, it's an unlocking. It's, it's not concealment, but revelation of who God is and how God wants His people to act and to stand in solidarity with one another no matter how messy life becomes. So who defines who you are? What are the identifying markers about your life? Who gets to decide that? Is it peers? Is it society? It's a loyalty question, really, right? To whom or to what will we turn our loyals and loyalty so that we may be identified in this way or with that way or with this person or with that person? New identity in Christ at the start of this new year as we commit to covenant and the commitments of covenant means we're going to shed the old and take on the new as we set our sights in mission and ministry. It reminded me of a story of, um, I think it was uh, Brett Butler. He was a baseball player, right? He played for the, the San Francisco Giants for a while, and then something really scandalous happened. He was traded to the L.A. Dodgers. I think it was around 1990. There was a lot of stink about that. They're rivals in state, big teams. And so it's my understanding that his first outing having left the Giants and now playing for the Dodgers in this uniform was met with mixed reviews. Some cheered, some booed. How can you be wearing a Dodgers uniform? 
And then he did something really strange. He walked over to Tommy Lasorda, the Dodgers manager at the time, and he gave him a big hug as if to say, this is my new identity. Then all the cheers turned to boos, and everybody was booing at that point, right? What I've thought about as Christians, we have this new identity by water and the Spirit where we leave the old behind. And if we're bold enough to say, let it be, we step into a new identity. Your highest identifying marker is who God says you are, not who anybody else says you are. The baptism of Jesus teaches us this radical lesson. Because at Jesus' baptism, the heavens parted, the Spirit descended like a dove, and the voice of God was audibly heard. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, by the way, it's one of the rare instances where we have the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in, in one place. It's an important moment, a theophany moment, an epiphany moment. This is my Son. I love Him. I'm well pleased in Him. Jesus... The Christ is God's Son. It's one of many doctrines of the church, our United Methodist Church, uh, no less, and it's one of many doctrines that will not ever change. It cannot change. Jesus Christ is God's only Son, and God is proud of His boy. That's what we're reading. But the question I've asked this week is, why? Why is He well pleased with Jesus? Because at this point... Jesus hasn't performed any miracles, no healings. He hasn't called his disciples. He's done very little, according to Matthew's gospel, actually. And yet God loves him just for being his son, just as he is. No strings attached, no prerequisite boxes to check. Yes, this is my son, just as he is. I love him, and I'm well pleased in him. And I think God makes that statement because Jesus says, let it be, and then he enters into the waters the waters of humanity. It's the coronation of, of a king whose platform will ultimately be a cross. It starts here at his baptism. Jesus is baptized with us and for us and in our presence so that God can turn to all of humanity and say, I love you too, just as you are. We stand alongside Jesus's humanity in this moment of his baptism, and we, we bask in the grace that we are beloved children of God. There's no mistaken identity in that. The challenge is that as we grow, we listen less to the heavenly voice and more to voices around us, don't we? You know, in our elementary age, we... Our, our children say, well, your report card's not good. You must not be smart enough. And our teenagers hear it all the time. You're not fast enough or cool enough or tall enough or dressed well enough or whatever the enough is. As adults, we're not secure enough. Our house isn't big enough. You know, all these enoughs and enoughs and enoughs. And it goes on and on and on. And these voices, they perpetuate until we can't hear God saying, you're my child. And I love you, and you are enough. We forget that claim, 
Somehow God's heavenly voice is drowned in the currents of other vocal streams and we are tempted to forget who we are and whose we are and to whom we are accountable. We forget that we're God's people, a congregation of Christians whom God has claimed as his beloved. And then we also forget that God claims all people as beloved. We just forget to see God's identity in another person. And when we do that, it begins a slippery slope of of bitterness and fear and anger and, and so many things. We forget the people with whom we disagree belong to God. We forget the people who anger us belong to God. We forget the people who we say do not deserve our forgiveness. Yep, them too. They belong to God. The people who say, let's speed up, let's slow down, you get it. All God's children, every single one. So our baptism with Christ forces us to ask, and our reaffirmation of that baptism today forces us to say, do we believe that Christ can reconcile people to God and to one another or not? And are we willing to consider where God's voice is among the swift currents of, of chaos? Are we committed to that covenantal commitment or not? When people judge us, we need to listen more acutely to God's voice. What do you need to do to listen today to hear that God loves you so much? And the person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front and behind and three pews up and four pews up, the people watching from home right now, the Tri-County and anywhere around the world, God loves all of us. And He stepped down into the muddy waters to say, I'm here with you. And I'll lead you out to show you what mission and ministry with people is all about. I think Jesus walked forward to the river that day and said, let it be. And that was a commitment he was making to mission and to ministry about people and with people, whatever the cost. So in that moment of committing to covenant, And saying, let it be, that's when he heard the voice of God say, this is my child. I love you for this. There will always be an answer, friends. Let it be according to God's will.